This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. A Canadian man has blown the whistle on his own company for harvesting private data from 50 million Facebook users. Christopher Wiley says that users signed up for a personality test, then unwittingly gave away access to all their friends' information. If you were a friend of somebody who used the app, you would have no idea that I've just pulled all of your data. His company is called Cambridge Analytica. It's based in England and worked on U.S. political campaigns, including Donald Trump's. The company collected data that could be used to predict and influence voters' choices during the election. The controversy over Facebook and Cambridge Analytica may seem like ancient history, but the case was recently back in the spotlight in Canada as the federal court sided with Facebook and against the Privacy Commissioner of Canada in a decision arising from a 2019 investigation into the matter. The Privacy Commissioner had ruled against Facebook, but Facebook disagreed with the findings and took the matter to court. The court sided with the social media giant, concluding that the Privacy Commissioner failed to provide sufficient evidence that Facebook had not obtained meaningful consent when sharing information with third-party users, and it rejected a claim that Facebook did not adequately safeguard user information. What lies behind the decision, and what does it mean for privacy reform in Canada? My colleague Teresa Scazza, who holds the Canada Research Chair in Information Law, is widely regarded as one of Canada's leading privacy law experts. She posted on the decision soon after its release, and she joins me on the podcast to talk about the ruling and its broader implications. Teresa, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Michael. I'm really glad you've come back. Um, in this case, to talk about, frankly, a case that um, it's, it's, I think for many is in the rearview mirror, but uh, popped up yet again here in Canada. And this involves Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Uh, just recently, the federal court dismissed a privacy commissioner of Canada case against Facebook that stems from its investigation into that case. And this, of course, dates back now many years. So there's lots to unpack with respect to that decision, both what it means for that case, but but I think perhaps even more for what it means for privacy reform. Um, but why don't we start with some background on this particular issue? You know, for, for those that uh, have forgotten or wish they could forget, you know, what was the issue around uh, Cambridge Analytica and Facebook? Yeah, so the Cambridge Analytica uh, Facebook scandal broke in around um, 2015, and it highlighted uh, some of the broader issues that were part of the complaint to the Privacy Commissioner. Because I think, although it is, you're right, that it is about this, this, this particular set of facts that, um, that is in the rearview mirror, I think the issues that the, the case raises and that were part of the complaint are, are very uh, live and important ones. Um, and basically, Facebook, uh, like many other social media and other platforms, allows uh, third-party apps to be developed for its platform. Um, and in the Cambridge Analytica scandal, a Cambridge professor had developed a, a personality quiz type of app, um, which was represented as collecting data for research purposes and launched it on Facebook. Um, users who installed the app had agreed to its uh, privacy policy and once installed, the, the app provided access to those users' profile information and to data of their Facebook friends. So essentially, they install the app and their friends may not know it, but the app gets access to um, uh, data of those friends. Um, 
what made this um, more of a scandal was the, the story that was broken by the media that data from the app had then been sold uh, to Cambridge Analytica and another company and was used to create psychographic profiles of individuals. Um, and those in turn were used to target political messaging to them um, in relation to the US primacy, uh, primaries and also um, in relation to the U UK's Brexit campaign. And so there was you know, obviously this, this use, a very troubling use of the data collected by the app. Um, and so the broader issues behind the complaint to the Privacy Commissioner's Office related to the responsibility that Facebook, the platform in this case, has for the data collection practices of third-party apps on its site. Um, and, uh, and so that's really the, the, the core issue behind this case. Now, Facebook had its own privacy policies, its terms of service. It had told users that apps might ask for permission to access users' content and information. Um, and that the app's policies and user agreements were going to govern this. Um, it also provided uh, additional features starting in 2010 for notice to users installing an app about what categories of information that app wished to access and links to the privacy policy and a chance to grant or deny permission. So Facebook's position was essentially that, you know, it had the platform, it had its own privacy policies, it warned users, um, it told them that they had to pay attention to the app, the app, um, terms and conditions. It had terms and conditions for app developers, and it basically said this infrastructure it, it satisfies um, privacy law. Um, and so, one of the the key issues in in this investigation was whether whether that's the case. What's the responsibility of a platform that is essentially opening the doors to access to user data? Um, you know, in that context. Okay. So, you know, I, clearly a case that you know attracted global attention, uh, both because of the role that Facebook plays uh, in social media and, and more broadly, but uh, in particular, the, the connections that were ultimately made into the political realm and the influence that some of that, ha that had. You know, the case has ultimately resulted in, in investigations around the world with billions in, in penalties in some, in some cases. Uh, you mentioned the Canadian investigation. Can you unpack a little bit uh, what happened in Canada? When, you know, what brought this case now to Canada and, and what, what commissioners got involved? The scandal part involving um, potential, uh, the selling of the data and the interference with the election, that was, that was less of an issue in Canada um, than it was in the UK or the United States. Um, in the 2019 um, report of findings uh, following the investigation, uh, the, the uh, Office of the Privacy Commissioner report of findings following the investigation, um, it was determined that about 272 Canadians had downloaded the app, but that this in turn affected the data of over 600,000 other Facebook users in Canada, essentially the friends of those 272 users whose data might have been accessed by this app. And so there were certainly Canadians who were affected by, um, by this app that gathered information from the users and from their friends and then uh, potentially sold it on for, for other uses. Um, and so the complaint in Canada was brought by three members of parliament um, asking the OPC to investigate to determine if PIPEDA, um, the Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act had been breached. Um, and, uh, and so that's essentially how it arose specifically in Canada. You mentioned other privacy commissioners. The, the Privacy Commissioner of British Columbia was also involved in this case. One of the companies that received uh, data um, was based in British Columbia. And so there was that link to, um, to British Columbia as well. 
Yeah. Okay. So the commissioner gets involved based on on that complaint from the MPs, uh, and you mentioned some of the statement of fact. What does the commissioner recommend coming out of that, and and how does Facebook react to those recommendations? Yeah. Well. Yeah. And so the, so the the commissioners found that uh, Facebook had had not obtained valid and meaningful consent um, of those who had installed um, this app, um, and. Uh, it, and so that was one of the findings. It also found that it failed to uh, that Facebook Facebook had failed to obtain meaningful consent from um, the friends of those users um, who had installed the app, um, and that Facebook had inadequate safeguards in place to protect user information. It was relying on contractual terms with app developers, but it didn't have any proper monitoring and compliance oversight. Uh, there wasn't any evidence that Facebook had taken enforcement actions. Um, and so it's a, it's an interesting set of findings in that they basically put a lot of uh, responsibility on Facebook. If Facebook is going to operate a platform that, that collects and amasses and invites people to contribute a lot of user data and then makes it possible for app developers to develop apps that also tap into that user data, essentially this, the, this report of findings is saying that Facebook has more responsibility than just to have terms and conditions for the app developers and expect the app developers to comply with them. They have to do something more. Um, and uh, Facebook um, rejected those uh, recommendations um, and uh, quite publicly rejected those uh, recommendations. Yeah, so, so Facebook's just not on board. And for those that have, have encountered Canadian privacy law, one of the frustrations, one of the reasons that we've seen calls for reform is that there isn't order making power, it's a recommendation. And if you want to go further, you've got to go to the federal court, which is what happened here, right? The, federal, the privacy commissioner doesn't get, Facebook's not on board with the, the findings and the recommendations. So we go to the federal court. For those that are, are unfamiliar, once we go to the federal court with one of these PIPETA cases, what happens? Um, well, it's it's what's called a, a hearing de novo. So, so as you say, the 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 you know the privacy commissioner has no order making powers, but the federal court does. Um, and if the commissioner takes something to federal court, um, then the federal court starts again from the beginning. So they don't start with the investigation report and the findings, and then determine whether um, an order is warranted. They make their own inquiry and hear evidence and so on. And so you basically start the the process over again. Um, I should note before we get into talking about that decision that there was also, um, as part of, I guess, uh, Facebook's pushback, they also brought um, an application for judicial review, which was also decided last week. It's um, more technical and less uh, publicized than the, the decision that we're going to be talking about. Um, but uh, in that uh, application, it challenged the commissioner's investigation on jurisdictional grounds, so argued that the commissioner had no jurisdiction to investigate on procedural fairness grounds. Um, there was an argument that it, that it took, the investigation took too long, more than what was provided for in the statute and so on, and on some other grounds, and it lost um, its application uh, on that ground. So, so it, you know, it was, it was acting on different fronts here, um, but this particular um, uh, application that we're going to be talking about was brought by the Privacy Commissioner for an order. So while the Privacy Commissioner was bringing this application for an order, um, Facebook was separately trying to get the uh, investigation qua uh, report quashed for these other grounds and was unsuccessful in doing that. Okay, that's a really interesting, uh, I think, an important distinction to make Facebook looking at whatever sort of procedural jurisdictional grounds it could find to, to get this tossed unsuccessful 
uh, on that front. But as, as a giveaway off the top, they were successful with respect to the substance. Yes, um, there were, and and there were a couple, at least a couple of major legal issues that sort of that came to the fore as part of the discussion that we get from the court around consent and adequate safeguards of user information, which sort of follows from your description of uh, where the privacy commissioner's concerns were. Why don't we start with consent, uh, where the court had some pretty strong language with respect to the evidence that was provided by the privacy commissioner's office? You know, what yeah. did the court have to say? Yeah, well, and it was strong language. Um, the uh, referring to it as an evidentiary vacuum. Um, uh, and so the court was concerned that, um, that the commissioner had no, um, had insufficient evidence to support their claims uh, in this particular case. And some examples of what the court uh, uh, indicated as part of this evidentiary vacuum was for example, a lack of expert evidence on what Facebook could feasibly do differently from what it had done, um, as well as a lack of any subjective evidence from Facebook users about their expectations of privacy. Um, uh, the, the court noted that under section 12.1 of PIPITA, um, the commissioner can compel Facebook to provide evidence. Um, and the, so the court was critical of, of the commissioner for not using 12.1. Uh, saying that the commissioner's response had been it didn't use 12.1 because Facebook would not have complied or would have nothing to offer. Um, and the court said uh, in response to this, it's the commissioner's burden to establish a breach of PIPIT on the basis of evidence, not speculation and inferences derived from a paucity of material facts. Um, and the court complains that it's been asked to draw too many inferences in this case about what users would or would not read when they saw uh, you know, different privacy policies about what they might find discouraging, about that what they would or would not um, understand, um, and so on. Um, so it, it's a pretty sharp rebuke um, of the commissioner. Yeah, it certainly was, and uh, you know, it's the you know, it's hard to understand why the the privacy commissioner's office wouldn't have at least tried to obtain some of this information. But there are other elements of you know, the judge saying that he just has doesn't have something to work with that. That, that I think raised some concerns, and you certainly raised them in a post that you, you wrote about them. You just mentioned, for example, just saying, well, how am I supposed to know about people's reasonable expectations mm. here? Um, you highlighted that in, in sort of some of your initial commentary on that. It's not as if we're dealing with a, a vacuum when it comes to what people's reasonable expectation of privacy might be. Yeah, well, uh, you know, and I, I teach these points out of the decision. I mean, basically, the decision is the commissioner didn't have enough evidence. There was, isn't sufficient evidence. It's a hearing de novo. The court says there isn't enough evidence to support this, so I'm not making an order. Um, and that's the decision. And so some of the comments that I tease out and, and explore uh, in my blog post, as you mentioned, relate to what, you know, we would call um, obiter or other comments that are made in the decision that don't directly go to the heart of the decision. But I tease them out because I think they're so important in thinking about um, the reform of PIPEDA um, and, and the things that we have to be attentive to in reforming PIPEDA. So these comments about the subjective expectations of Facebook users um, are, I think, are really important. Um, reasonableness in, in, in law, uh, the, the reasonable person standard uh, tends to be, uh, is an objective standard. Um, and so it looks objectively at what a reasonable person, um, who's a bit of a construct, uh, would, would think or do in certain circumstances. And reasonableness is, plays a really important role in PIPEDA, um, considering what a reasonable person would expect or consider appropriate in circumstances. 
And the judge in discussing um, the evidence complains that there's no evidence from users about their expectations, which would have, and I quote here, enabled the court to better assess the reasonableness of meaningful consent in an area where the standard for reasonableness and user expectations may be especially context dependent and are ever evolving. And so that troubles me deeply because what that seems to suggest is uh, this attitude that as, um, as our privacy rights are eroded, which they have been for years now um, in, and in very significant ways by, um, a variety of different data collection practices. Um, you know, we're bombarded with long consent policies that we don't have time to read. We're expected to use certain platforms for work. And so, you know, we have to consent, but we don't really have any choice but to consent to the privacy policies because that's, you know, that's the, it, it, that's the reality. We have to use these tools. Um, we need cell phones. We need to do uh, you know, uh, we need to engage in all kinds of different commercial activities. And, and all of this comes with, you know, um, privacy policies and consent. And so, you know, consent becomes a bit of a fiction in that context. But what the comments of the judge seem to suggest is that, um, that, it, that, you know, as these, as our expectations of privacy are eroded by this context in which we operate, um, then the reasonable expectation of privacy also diminishes and is eroded. And to me, that's incredibly dangerous. And the Supreme Court of Canada, admittedly in charter cases, has talked about the reasonable expectation of privacy as being a normative standard. Um, that, that the question is not, um, what do people, you know, what do, you know, let's figure out who reasonable people are and think about what they expect in this, you know, context in which we find ourselves, but rather think about it normatively, in a sense, what the reasonable person should be, should expect, should be entitled to expect in those circumstances. And so that protects the reasonable expectation of privacy and gives us a sort of something to, to hold on to in a context in which, um, you know, we're really fighting against the current in, in terms of the, you know, the desire to collect more and use more and more of our personal data in a whole variety of different contexts. So I think that those comments in the decision are really concerning um, and really important and, you know, and highlight the need to, um, to, to emphasize the importance of a normative approach to reasonableness in this data protection law and, and in other ones. Yeah, indeed. I mean, you, your, your comments sort of bring to mind the, the, the famous uh, line from Scott McNeely, Sun Microsystems, if you have no privacy, um, get over it. And, <laughs> you know, if, if that's the approach that you take with respect to what your reasonable expectation is, then it really becomes, then there, it really is a, a move to zero in, in many respects. And that surely can't be the standard that we establish in Canada. You know, the the, the decision also focuses on the adequate safeguards, you know, it's Facebook's responsibility with respect to adequate safeguards. And there the judge seems to be making a plea to parliament in some ways to, to sort of get on with, with privacy reform, talking about um, the, the submissions that came both from Facebook and from the OPC about what the law uh, could be or should be. Um, but he suggested that it's not the role of the court to, 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 to step in with its view, it's up to Parliament to act. You know, was that your take on it? And, and what signal do you think this sends with respect to, to Pipita reform, you know, Bill C-27, which has languished now for, for months, indeed, I think even really for years, if we go back to the earlier bill that was introduced by Navdeep Baines? Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And those comments are really interesting because they start with this, um, you know, this, this call, what sounds really like a call to Parliament to reform the law. And they finish with, with a, essentially a chastisement of the commissioner for, um, for, for trying to enforce a law that, that he doesn't have, <laughs> that he wishes he had, but he doesn't have. Um, so it, it's hard for, you know, I, I read that and I, and I have these mixed feelings about whether it is um, a, a, a rebuke to the commissioner for, for trying to enforce the law that he thinks Canadians deserves, uh, deserve, or, or whether it's a call to action to parliament, and maybe it's both. Um, but I think it's quite telling um, that, um, that we've allowed Pipita to become so um, out of date and unfit for purpose, essentially, um, you know, over the years as the data, um, the, the context for data, as the data-driven society has changed so dramatically, our privacy laws simply haven't kept up. Um, and so, so, you know, the, the commissioner is trying to interpret Pipita in this, current and contemporary context where there are so many threats to um, our privacy and, our and to a collection of personal data and, and the ways in which it's used and, and disclosed and so on. Um, and, um, and the bottom line, whichever way you read that, um, the law is not up to the task. And, and so we have a bill before parliament and, you know, and, and this is one of the, uh, the, the issues are we going to move forward with this reform finally, which we've been talking about for um, a very long time. Yeah, we certainly have. Now, one other element in terms of the discussion that comes from the judge around that reform is that he, he talks, as people often do when it comes to privacy, about balance. Um, you, you highlighted in that, that same post that, you know, if, if that's the framing, uh, you know, what of the human rights-centered approach to privacy? And what does that mean for the uh, likely outcomes for this for this reform process if, if we actually do get, get on with it? Yeah, and there, there, we've had quite a bit of back and forth about this, um, it, you know, publicly uh, in the media and in uh, scholarly writing and, and so on and, and parliamentary comments about um, a human rights-based approach to privacy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think this is becoming... Um, so important, um, increasingly important. And I do think the comments of the judge in this case highlight the importance of it. Um, because what the judge, um, you know, we're, we're talking about a piece of a data protection law and data protection law assumes that organizations are going to need to collect and use personal information. I mean, and that's a reality and we understand that. And there are lots of uses to which it can be put, many of which are beneficial to individuals. Um, uh, you know, in a variety of different contexts, and and um, and so that's what data protection law is. Um, and both Pipita and Bill C twenty seven have this kind of balancing of interests approach, where they basically say, look, organizations have interests in collecting and using data, and people have interests in their in their privacy rights and data, and the law finds this balance between the two. A human rights based approach would make it clear that fundamental human rights and, and those associated with privacy, of course, relate to dignity and autonomy, but uh, freedom of expression and association are also uh, impacted by privacy, the right to equality, um, and so on. Um, and so a human rights-based approach would, would have human rights as a backstop, essentially, to, um, to this balancing, um, basically setting limits to what can be shared in certain circumstances, that, that, that there's 
you know, there's a limit to what can be done. It's not just a question of, oh, you know, let's put these different interests in the balance that, that fundamentally uh, at some point human rights um, will trump commercial interests where, um, you know, where that becomes important. And in the Facebook decision, Justice Manson acknowledges um, that the Supreme Court of Canada has ruled that data protection laws are quasi-constitutional in nature. There isn't a general right to privacy in the Constitution, but these laws have a quasi-constitutional character um, because of the importance of the rights that they protect. But then he, he says this is um, a factor in interpreting PIPEDA, but it doesn't displace the ordinary rules of statutory interpretation. So it's part of the, the, the overall context, but when it comes to interpreting PIPEDA, you look at what's in the statute. And he says, ultimately, given the purpose of PIPEDA is to strike a balance between two competing interests, the court must interpret it in a flexible, common sense and pragmatic manner. And I think that's in a nutshell why we need a human rights-based approach to privacy so that it doesn't get reduced in interpreting uh, this legislation to uh, what is essentially a balance between two competing interests, that there's a reminder that on one side of that balance, you also have the need to protect some pretty basic and fundamental human rights. Um, and so there's a need to be uh, explicit about that. Well, let's hope, let's hope this bill actually gets to committee and mm. there is that opportunity for experts to speak out. Um, yeah. Teresa, I know that if, if that happens, you'll, you'll be up before committee. And so look forward to hearing what you have to say then. And uh, thank you for taking the time to, uh, to walk through this case and what it means both for Facebook Cambridge Analytica, but more broadly, what it means for privacy in Canada. Thanks so much, Michael. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.